Aquarius, tonight you will record an episode of your podcast and be careful because one careless move can result in a serious fall. Do you believe in psychic Sadie? Who knows? Welcome back to Don't Slam Your Podcast. I'm as ever your 2.4 host, JD Collins. We're now on episode three of series six of 2.4 Children and it's a firm fan favorite. Joining me today is one of our regular guests, and this was his choice of episode when we first met. It's almost like the first time he's been on, even though he's been on a few more. It is Chris. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, JD. How are you today? You're right. I'm really well. Thank you. Well, there's an interesting story behind our sort of link to this episode. You're the first guest, and thus far, probably the only one I imagine, who I watched this episode with in person. Yes, we did watch it uh, last week after Halloween Kills, didn't we, John? <laughs> yes, it was a very, a very uh, bizarre sequence of events. So I went up to Sheffield to meet up with Chris, met for the first time, went to see Halloween Kills. And then being Northern Rail, my train was cancelled. So I had to wait about 90 minutes in Sheffield. So I went back to Chris's flats. Good job he's not a murderer. And we said, what should we do? Let's watch 2.4 Children. So there's a copy of, of Series 6 that you recorded from, I think it was Sky Plus. Yeah. Yeah. And then we just sort of sat down, watched it. And it was like, we, it was like we were starting to talk about it like we were on the podcast. It was a very strange experience, really. But it was, it was quite fun to do. It was. It's such a great episode. It's, it's one of my favourites. It's just, I love the plot and it's just so funny and quite tense as well. It's as tense as comedy can get. It <laughs> really is. On the ledge. <laughs> it's, it's probably one of the most incredible effects for a sitcom that I think I've ever seen. I don't think I've seen anything quite like it since, especially when you learn, well, I learned that it was actually done in the studio. So apparently... I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but if anyone can remember my guest, Russell, who came on the show for Curiosity Killed the Cat and Greed, he was lucky enough to attend three studio recordings of the show in the late 90s, the first one being Vertigo from 1996. And one of the things I've always wanted to know about that episode was, was those scenes on the window ledge filmed in the studio or were they filmed like pre-recorded in another studio? Because it just looks so effective. I can't believe it was an audience sort of in front of that watching it as it as it was happening and it turns out it really was filmed in the studio with the audience watching it it was it was crazy when you look at it how effective the whole thing is it's great i'd love to know as well like how high up they were in the studio yeah when the audience was watching it you know are they kind of just off the ground or are they actually quite high up in the studio itself that would be quite interesting to know i wonder if um wonder if they are kind of really high up or not <laughs> Yeah, from the audience perspective like are they, are they looking up or is that kind of oh god they're high up in the studio or are they kind of just off the ground <laughs> yeah it's it's one of those which d- it does it, it's such an it's such an, a sickening effect really because it just looks too real yeah oh it's it is and one thing i noticed as well after watching vertigo that alfred hitchcock film is there's a lot of kind of shots that mirror that are in that film so like you've got kind of shots in vertigo where you're looking directly down like that as they're looking directly down on the window ledge so there's a lot of kind of you know parallels and links between that because obviously alfred hitchcock andrew marshall is a big alfred hitchcock fan and uh, hence the name is coming from the alfred hitchcock film of which is also very very good <laughs> absolutely so before we go into the review to say this episode was recorded in the studio even the most sickening moments if anyone hadn't got vertigo before this episode they probably would after this so for anyone who's ever wondered how the effects were achieved well Here's Andrew Marshall to explain it all. Welcome back. And we come to Series 6, Episode 3, which is called Vertigo, uh, named after a movie by Guess Who. In fact, uh, I only just noticed, unusually, there are actually four titles in this series. Four out of the six episodes are titled... Uh, after Hitchcock movies, incredibly. I don't quite know how that managed to happen. This is an episode where Liz Smith once again gets to play the more wacky of the two parts, Aunt Belle, and features them all trapped out on a ledge for most of the show, various things happening. I was talking last time about how uh, Nick and I were trying to up the production value of the show. And so when we tried to do this, we decided that it's got to look incredibly convincing. And you may be wondering how we actually did it, and I'll try and explain. We had a set built in the studio, which was one story of the house containing the ledge that they were all standing on. It was very slightly raised off the floor, about a couple of feet I think, maybe three feet. And it was all done in real time on this set. But 
I've mentioned our brilliant designers uh, before, and the designer on this series was the wonderful George Kirikides. And before we made the episode, George took us all up to an immensely tall and similar tower block. Uh, I can't remember where it was, somewhere in London. And what he did was he had a camera rig which went out of the window on a sort of long pole that he could point in various directions. And he took a shot which was from a certain angle and we ran the tape on it. So what we made was what we call a plate, which is a sort of background shot, which with the camera was completely fixed and static from a particular angle. He then would rotate the camera and say, for example, instead of pointing sideways, it pointed downwards at a certain angle and at a certain length of the pole and took another plate looking downwards and then another plate looking in another direction. And so we had quite long pieces of tape of the uh, sort of in midair shot of the side of the building and the sky and movement beyond. So you could see it wasn't just a still photograph shot, but actually things were moving in it. And then when we came back to the studio, George, who was extraordinarily clever with, with uh, the mathematical calculations, calculated exactly where each camera would be placed so that it corresponded with the camera that we took the plates with and would exactly match them in perspective. And so that by placing a wipe line either below the ledge or to the side of the building, or whatever each of these shots were, there would be a matching plate, piece of tape, which would be playing at the same time, so that you would get this extraordinary illusion that they really were on this ledge. And he also built the set to match exactly the tower block story that he used for the plate shots. It's an absolutely brilliant piece of technical mastery from George that I really do admire how he did this. It was so convincing that in the studio where they look suddenly look down and it cut to the shot of uh, you being able to see all the way down to the ground beyond them, the audience actually gasp. You can hear them gasp, even though they knew perfectly well that they were only standing um, three feet above the ground because they could see it right in front of them. But it was so convincing uh, when you cut to the shot. It was, it was really scary. It was a lot of fun to do this episode. It's one of the iconic episodes in my mind. Uh, let's see what they make of Vertigo. So Bill and Rona walk from Rona's to the porter's house and they're each carrying a pile of magazines. Um, Bill asks how she got all of them and Rona replies, you know how it is, you don't exactly go out for one and then suddenly you just pick it up like chicken pox, Bill replies. Bill trips as they go towards the, her house and the pile drops to the ground. Rona says they're, you know, very thought-provoking articles and then Bill looks at the front cover and just says, you know, take that in swimming trunks. Apparently then it's not take that, it's boy's own. Apparently take that splits under the pressure, which Bill replies, I'm not surprised in those trunks. You know, that's quite um, a, a, a kind of contemporary reference because this is 1996 and that was the year that take that did actually split up and so and then broke the hearts of so many teenage girls who got over it very quickly. And then yeah. Bill has another <laughs> magazine that um, she says, oh, well, there they are again. But Rona tells them it's not take that a boy band, um, boy's own. It's upside down. They're another boy band. And, and Bill's just like boy bands. Rona says, you know, wake up. They're called boy bands. Surely Jenny told you that. And, and Bill stands up with her pal and says, I'm happy to say that Jenny has finally grown out of that sort of thing. And with any luck, that'll be the last time in my life I'll ever have to hear anything about boy bands. And it's just as she opens the door in the living room, all the sofas, all the tables are apart. The, the, the centre is completely clear. And David and his four mates are practising their boy band dance. And they just look like, like an amateur take that. That's the only way I can describe it. Like a combination of take that East 17 with the, the very um, dodgy kind of jackets and shirts and glasses and, and, and hats. Still look like mops on there. Oh, head. God, the hat that David's wearing. Christ. I know, he really is. He, Tremendous. He, yeah, I know, I know. It's um it's quite a nice little preview as well for their performance in and now the screaming starts. Yes. Yeah. So we a, yeah. 
great attention to detail by Andrew Marshall, I think. And uh, it was obviously the first se- first season, this, isn't it, with the new director, Nick Wood? Yes. Um, and you can kind of tell it's like a slightly different flavour. Um, I think as well as that you get that kind of common pattern where you've got the scene before the credits as well. It's that yes. from season six, isn't it? Yes, uh, Which it is, is a new thing brought uh, and uh, I noticed as well in terms of the jokes and stuff, you've got a lot of kind of juxtapositioning. So you've got Bill saying there's no more falls and there's a fall directly after. And there's a lot of kind of contrast between what she says and what happens is the complete opposite in a lot of kind of the way that way it's written from season six onwards. Um, but still yeah, feels like the same show. Episode. Definitely. Definitely, yeah. It's fantastic. And I love how unimpressed Bill looks as she sees the boys and Rona's eyes just perked wide open, just like in shock. Post credits, David says, sorry about that, lads. She's going to be here all afternoon. And the other three leave but before they do bill does the kind of typical embarrassing mum thing and say do you always take those trousers up in the crutch which she kind of gives a gleeful smile and even rona looks unimpressed when she just gives her the glare of like you shouldn't have said that bill that's really not nice yeah. davis slams the door and says i bet george michael's mother didn't burst on in during the middle of a wham rap and bill replies no but we all wish she had and davis says i suppose you like the idea of me delivering pizzas for the rest of my life <laughs> and again bill's just got that kind of you know just she's just on one with the embarrassing comments today she goes Mmm, I love that new aftershave you're wearing. What is it? Pepperoni and onion? David runs upstairs and, and he says, I'm going upstairs. And just as he re- reaches the top of the stairs, Bill shouts her catchphrase, don't slam your door, slams the door. And she goes, I've got a terrible feeling I've been here before. And it wasn't to Shirley MacLaine. I think, <laughs> I think that's probably just a reference to Shirley MacLaine movies I've, I've not seen many shirley mcclain movies i obviously know who she is i think yeah it's, it's obviously a very reference that's one of the things i enjoy about two-point filth children i enjoy the fact that i don't always get the references because it makes it more fun in a way like, yeah. i watch episodes and i think i don't know who that person is but i kind of like it because of that reason it gives yeah. me something to google or it's something to explore i think it just it's less plain that way that it's got these references that make it more interesting and give it a bit more depth and a bit more flavor i think it's i like not understanding everything <laughs> yeah and, and and i think um for a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of people that go, well, I don't know the reference, so I don't, I won't enjoy it. It's like, well, there's a thing called Google type. I agree with you there. It's good. It's good to learn new things. And, and uh, it's, I enjoy it more. I enjoy it more that I don't always get the references. Yeah, it's full. It's rich, full of, of, of reference and detail in this show. And I love it. The two are going yeah. through photocopying bits for their business. Bill is about to cut out a page, but Rona stops her as on the other side are horoscopes. So, and it, these are psychic Sadie's predictions for November. And Bill's obviously instantly unimpressed by this whole concept of a psychic Sadie. She goes, you know, she reads it out. Psychic Sadie, confidant of the rich and famous, presents her indispensable day-by-day guide to your life's loves. And, and Bill's about to cut it out. And Rona grabs it back and says, it's indispensable. Bill says, you don't seriously think all this is real, do you? I don't even believe Psychic Sadie's photograph is real. Nobody could possibly look like that. You have this image, don't you, of like a Mystic Meg. And I I, I wonder yes, if Psychic Sadie yeah. and Mystic Meg were, well, Psychic Sadie was inspired by Mystic Meg. I think she is when you see her later. Oh, yeah, yeah. I always think Mystic Meg when I think of Psychic Sadie. And then Rona says, you know, that she can be very accurate. Bill asks what her star sign is. <laughs> Rona says Virgo. And it's an obvious comeback. While Bill says, you know, that doesn't sound very accurate. And I like, but I like the fact that Rona says, I knew you were going to say that. It was so predictable. It's like she knows Bill so well and we know them. We know what's going to be said, but within the context of the series, that's what people are really like in real life. They they make banterous comments about people based on the characteristics. Yeah, and I like kind of the meta elements that Marshall just just nudges in slightly like, uh, she says, uh, oh, well, you should be able to write write the jokes and it can't be very difficult. And obviously it's kind of like a wink-wink sort of to sitcom writing, isn't it? And, and there's one earlier on, I think, in season three where, where they say, why don't they repeat anything good anymore? Yes, and yes. In, if you go back further to season one, it's like they're watching a, a sitcom, I think, and they're like, oh, don't watch them. They're all terrible. I think yeah. it's just interesting how they're kind of winking it. He winks at sitcoms in a way, uh, Marsh, which I think is really kind of nice to see. It's like a nice little touch that you see occasionally in the Absolutely. seasons throughout the season. Yeah, definitely. And, and then again, it's, it's, it feels real. That's how a lot of people do generally talk at times, which yeah. again gives it, gives the, the reality flavor of the show, which at this moment, it's very much reality. They're just doing business advertisement. They go into horoscopes, which a lot of people do, and then it just veers off completely. Bill reads out yeah. Vertigo. Vertigo, take care of your health this morning as you may not be feeling your usual sunny self. And I love Rona's reaction when he says, well, there you see, I told you I woke up feeling peculiar. You just like, it's just the, the, the word, the, the use of the word peculiar is, the, is just so beautifully um, added. And, and again, it's this idea of what people are saying because of what they've read. So Bill's like, we knew you didn't. But Rose's like, well, no, but I meant to. She's almost trying to make up for the fact that she didn't say it because she wants to be proven yeah. right. Bill says she <laughs> she's only feels that because of what they've read. Rony says she had a queasy feeling and psychic Sadie knows everything. Bill says she's not 
Jedka Hoover in a dress, or is she? Um, which I which I quite like the um, the the Jedka Hoover. Do you get that reference? I don't actually, but I still laughed at it when I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> just the way she says it, I just find it funny. <laughs> yeah, it's the way she kind of like tilts the magazine. She goes, "Or is she?" And then you know yeah. she's doing it just for the laughs. So Jedka Hoover was the first appointed director of the FBI in the twenties, oh, okay. and I think he was rumored that he was a crossdresser. Oh, um, so interesting. There was a lot of mystique about him, and he was quite a controversial figure in some ways. Not because of him being a crossdresser in time. I think he was a bit of a, um, a bit of a well, put, met, the power went to his head a little bit in some ways, should we say? But yeah, he was he was um, quite an interesting character. If you want to do a bit of research on him. Again, kids, there's things Actually, for Google yeah. type. So Rona says her predictions could be uncannily accurate sometimes. And then Bill says suddenly, she, well, Bill looks closely at a page and goes, good grief, I see, see what you mean. Here's mine for today. A member of your family will take up musical interest. Your business plans include some advertising. And a silly cow will snatch her bag magazine because she's as daft <laughs> as a brush. Later, her brain will fall when she sneezes. You know, she just, <laughs> Bill just has, wants to just, she's not doing it maliciously, but I think she just thinks that she's around these crazy people all the time, that she just needs to put them in their place at times. Yeah, I think Bill's very much the centre of the show, isn't she? She's, she's the person who keeps things grounded, no matter how crazy things get. And she's always there to bring things back to sort of reality and keep the show feeling real, I think. Similar in the way where Laura uh, Lansing obviously in Gordon British's British Empire you've already got that kind of you've got the, the wacky and the craziness of the sitcom versus this kind of person who just keeps it real which I yeah. think is like so important and makes it makes the whole show work as well oh yeah you need the straight man in the show and, and this is Bill even though she's the main character but she's still very funny and also yeah. she makes bad choices sometimes she's she she tries to keep everyone in check but often by doing so she puts herself in it more than everyone yeah. else she's got a slight flavor of it an elder, I think she's a she's actually kind of a person who you kind of she's kind of a hero, but she's kind of she's afraid to kind of have a bit of a rant as well. She's got that kind of element to her, hasn't she? Oh, completely. I I think she's I think she's a hero, Bill. I think she's we we missing yeah. we're missing yeah. a comedy character like her now. You know, every comedy yeah. character just wants to make jokes all the time. So Rona asks how she can yeah. know what happens to each of us personally each day. You know, Rona says it's all in the stars and the fact that they move about. That's how it all works. Bill hands Rona a bottle of juice. It's just a random observation. But this is the same bottle of orange juice that we saw in Dog Day Afternoon. And we saw in um, Lady Vanishes. It's something about orange juice and bottles that I quite like. A uh, bit of a theme. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the, the kind of the kind of suddenly all start drinking these, these little cartons of orange juice. I reckon the, the BBS, BBC is saying, oh, the sneaky product placement here, maybe. <laughs> yes. Just make sure you can only see a bit of the like about a quarter of of the um the label just so you can i can't even work out what the brand is to be honest so <laughs> i'm gonna say i can't even remember the oranges juice i can't even remember what orange juice flavors there are it's definitely not j2o i know for that for sure then bill asks a very sensible question you know which is why isn't she rich why doesn't she just win the lottery or the horses or make a killing on the stock market and i love how everyone's like psychics don't do that it's like of course they don't that, that's the obvious reason they don't do it because they can't so bill asks well here's an interesting one i was gonna say rona actually asks bill what her sign is and me and Ro and bill share the same star sign we're aquarius do you that's interesting do you have any kind of strange occurrences going off in your life that that, that bill experiences no not at all no. i think I, I'm, I'm quite <laughs> grateful actually that i don't have the same experience no, uh, sometimes no cobras or dodgy lottery ticket fiascos or <laughs> no, 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 no. no I'm, I'm quite happy about that i've got dogs but they're real dogs they're not imaginary ones thankfully that sounds good <laughs> And so Rona finds where, you know, um, you know, where Bill's star sign is on the page. And she says, OK, here is here we are for Aquarius for today. Bill's like, I'm not listening. Rona starts, beware. And then Bill goes, oh, no, what? And it's that moment when Bill sort of loses her kind of straight looking, straight talking, straight kind of thought process. And then just decides to just go along with it because Rona's a bad influence on Bill. She's really bad influence. Yeah. And then Rona explains the one careless move today could result in a serious fall. Bill reads it. She said, you know, well, it could have been the fall with the magazines. Rona said, but Rona says, no, that she bumped into Bill. So the fall is to come. Bill says she won't let her life be ruled by it and points out to the bottom of the page that has a picture of Madonna that labelled Libra cool, reserved and thoughtful. Rona says, you know, she probably is. And Bill replies, how can you be thoughtful wearing a bra that could poke somebody's eye out? Which is a great little reference to Madonna's costume and similar to the one that was it Charlene in Frenzy, the girl opposite Jane. Yes. Yeah, Charlene. Yeah, very provocative in leather and um, curly hair. <laughs> yeah. 
So that's probably the, I think, I think that's the brother talking about. Rona says, you know, it might not be Bill. She could make a careless move and it could either be Rona or Ben could fall. And I love how Bill replies, hopefully Chris Evans. Yeah. <laughs> nice little bit of a dig there at Chris Evans. And, and for the yeah. kids out there, she's referring to Chris Evans, the radio DJ, not Chris Evans, who's Captain America. He wasn't, he would have been like 15 or something at the time. At this moment, wouldn't Chris Evans have been doing um, TFI Friday? Yeah. Or was it Big did he do Big Breakfast as well? Was that on yeah. at the same time? Yeah. yeah. I know him more from radio, like actual radio, than I know yeah. him for TV. Because obviously, I, I, I remember the TFI Friday revival a few years ago, which was the weirdliest, yeah. nantiest thing ever. But it was great fun. I loved it. Um, <laughs> weird, but I loved it. So Rona says Bill needs to be careful and Bill says they should continue finding a photo of the fire and she then goes up the stairs and slips on some CDs that have been left there. David runs down and says, oh, you cracked one of them. He asks if she's all right. Bill says, yes, but I could have. And she just turns her head to Rona and Rona just doesn't respond. Yeah. You know, she kind of like knows what Bill's thinking. Dave says nothing happened. You know, you didn't fall. So the whole, again, this whole repetition of the fall the falling yeah fell yeah. they rule out bill having actually fallen and if anything was it was the stairs it was the cds that fell on those stairs the cds fell so it wasn't you know anything rona says you know bill should be you know more careful from now on jenny appears and asks to be careful about what and bill does a kind of typical sarcastic response they've just discovered i can pass the cellulite chain to my all my children but don't let that worry you and she does it while she's like <laughs> reading a newspaper a magazine she's just a bit like just doing it while she's not concentrating on anything it's very funny they're just the the, the, the lines just go back so beautifully jenny's like don't joke i've already got your bust bill rubs her chest and sarcastically says oh i wondered where i had gone you know she just sort of doesn't just, just, I just love it. I just love that <laughs> character so much, how yeah. massively sarcastic she is. And she just doesn't take rubbish from any of her children or Rona or Ben. Fantastic. The phone rings. Jenny is distracted by a letter to answer the phone. And it's, I think we've seen something similar to this before when, when um, Ben's going to sort of sit down and Bill's like, you know, oh, sorry, I'll get it. What? Oh, never mind. You know, she just sort of does everything, even though she kind of makes a point. None of them ever click to what she's saying. Bill answers the phone and it's the woman from the mobile library. And we find that Aunt Belle won't answer her door again. She's overdue on her Danielle Steele. Now, we now know it's Aunt Belle. Liz Smith's in the episode. Bonus points. I mean, it's always, I mean, we love every episode 2.5, but when Liz Smith's in it, it's like, yeah, because Liz Smith is She's fantastic. I, I just love Liz Smith. She's such a great actress, great comedy actress. Uh, and uh, she plays both Bet and this crazy, crazy aunt so well. <laughs> I think just... it's nice that we get to see Bettle on her own rather than Secret Diary of, uh, of David Porter. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's quite nice to have one more sort of time with yeah, her. Yeah, it is. She's, she's such a great character. Yeah, definitely. So Bill asks if... Yeah, because we Rose... see a lot more of this. It was It's great to have uh, this 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 unhinged character again that we, that we see Liz, Liz Smith playing in this episode because obviously in Secret Diary Day report, you don't really see that much of her. You kind of hear her behind the door and stuff when she gets locked into the, the flat, but it's great to actually see her as like a full main character in this episode because she's just so... She plays it so wonderfully, I think. You know, everything right down to the dodgy haircut to the tracksuit. It's just... And the pronunciation of words is just, just hilarious. She's like, she really just nails the performance for this character. <laughs> I feel she plays each part so so um, distinctively. You know, as you say, there are similarities between the two twins in the the way they pronounce things, or the the and the occasional posh pronunciation as well. Yeah, a lot of old people oh. don't do. Yes, or, it or it's a horrible. Yes, you know, yeah. I like I like all that. It's kind of a it's it's there's the similarities and there is the difference. Like Belle is a lot more eccentric, I think. I I think than, yeah. than Bet. I think Bet's very much somebody. It's a bit like Kim Pierce's in a way. You kind of get to see where Bet sort of came from, and and obviously Bet's very much trying to better herself with much better clothes and you know trying to be much more proper than obviously a down market relative. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's uh, you can you know we we've discussed with uh, Bill and Ben, and I think we when we were doing when the children are asleep, you know they come from very humble back beginnings, and if they did, then Bet 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 will have definitely as well. And yeah, it's it's interesting when you see like Bet's in um kind of a cunt, a cottage in the middle of nowhere, and Bell's in this well, tower block. You know, that's always very well turned out as well, very immaculate. <laughs> yeah. Totally. She really is. And so Bill asks if Rona can run her, Rona can run her over. 
Rona can run her over. That's very much a tongue twister. Rona, run her over. Rona, run her over. That's going to drive me insane. So Rona thinks that's a good idea considering how long it took last time. So obviously referring to secret driver David Porter. But Bill shows her a key and says that she's taking precautions. Then Rona asks, what if she's got the chain on? And so then Bill like turns around with these chain cutters and just has a very evil smile as she kind of opens them and stuff like she's just totally prepared for anything to happen not realizing she's completely unprepared for what's going to happen. They leave. Jenny looks at the letter and says, mom, just as the door shuts. And she leans back in the chair and clearly there's something in the letter that she's um, excited by. At the tower block, they walk in. Rona asks how long Bella's lived there. Now it's not discussed, but I think we're talking about this before the pod. Obviously in Secret Diary of Dave Porter, Bet lives on the ground floor, if I remember correctly. Because there's that bit at the end when Bill is in the window and the lead light comes on and there's the prostitute that walks outside the window. And then, so I think it's a good little nod to the fact that there's been some time since that episode and that Bell's moved. It's a different place in the first one and the lift is out of order so they have to run up the flight of stairs. And when Rona asks what floor she's on, Bill just says, don't ask. And she knows full well if she told Rona what floor they had to climb up towards she wouldn't want to know about it so they, they're running up the first flight of stairs and they're kind of all fine um but as they get to the 14th floor <laughs> i love how much slower and out of breath they are and the brown is a little bit sweaty and then you know she's just a bit like you know she's typical even though they're very kind of on go, you know, on the go women all the time even most fit people can really struggle over 14 flights of 14 floors and 14 flights of stairs oh. they, Stairs are evil. It doesn't matter how many fitness classes I do. They're just evil stairs. The hardest workout is going upstairs. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the most hard workout for you. Oh, yeah. Stairs all the way, yeah. doesn't matter what you do in the gym. Just stairs are the worst. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'll, um, I know not to do that if I ever want to build up my calf muscles. Just that's kind it. of got loads of stairs. So they finally arrive in the flat. Um, it's quite a, it's very much a granny flat, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's very old, very very old fashioned, and obviously as uh, as she says, it's got the suite, the bathroom suite, of the colour of baby's sick as well, which we never get to see, but can you imagine how horrible that looks? <laughs> yeah, the carpet and everything, and the the wallpaper, it really does look like something from the forties, fifties. It's it's definitely not had a, a, a renovation or redecoration in about forty years or or even longer. Bill looks through the letterbox and then she opens the key. Bill calls out for Beth. And then she hears her shout, hello, which obviously we can't see. And a great little reveal is the way that Bill goes over to the window, which is wide open. And she's about to shut it, but kind of stops. And the way Belinda Lang just plays this <laughs> moment of just like, you can see in her face without her saying anything, she's thinking, oh no, please let us not be real. And then she just slowly turns to the window, looks outside, turns her head and sees Belle stood on the side of the window ledge at the very far end. Yeah. And then Rona appears. Belle says, you're Bill's friend, aren't you? Robert, you know, you're just like, they're having this. Now, a friend of mine said the other day when I was saying, I'm, I'm watching the episode of Ready for Recording, that, you know, when Bet's right at the far end and she's pressed against the wall, it's sick to think that, that she's right opposite um, opposite her um, TV. The TV is right on the other side of the wall. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't, I'd never, never twigged on that. Yeah, it's very it's very grim when you think about it. And so Ben and Christine carry in a heavy piece of furniture back at the house. Ben tells her to put it down and Christine's like, oh, can't I stand here all weekend holding it? You know, she's just kind of typical Christine, uh, probably fed up to be doing work on a Saturday. Ben thought Christine would give him a hand while at the shower and he said he'd make it worth her while. But then Christine's at the RSPCA that night, you know, and I love the way she says, we get a lot of calls of cruelty to dogs after Noel Edmonds finishes. Like almost as if there's that, it's, you know, Noel Edmonds house parties really made people riled up so much that they have to be horrible to our man's best friends. He's always been loved and loathed, Noel Edmonds. I think even now, like you'll always get, is a, a character who people love or hate, I think. Yeah, so I think, I think that's very much echoed in modern day times as well. Definitely. He probably was always a very polarizing figure. Is you right? Even yeah. then, clearly. So David appears and Christine asks if he'll give her a lift home on his motorbike. And he says, only if you can fit into full, a 14 inch box. And Ben is about to make a sarcastic comment with his mouth open and Christine just says, don't you say a word. You know, it's, it's like, he, she just knows what he's going to say. 
that he's going to make a comment about her height again. So Christine leaves and Ben asks if David can help, but he's rehearsing with the boys. Ben sees the magazines on the table and has a quick skim through. Just like, you know, he's just fascinated by what those kind of magazines are like. He's a very, um, very interested in the world around him, Ben. I feel, I think I get that vibe about him. Yeah, it's a nice nod as well to obviously the whole midnight, midlife crisis kind of storyline, which comes up not in the not too distant um, future. That's a very as good well, point. Looking at kind of the magazines and youth and youth slipping away, it's that kind of theme, isn't it? You know, the, the inner struggles that Ben Porter is is going to like go through. Absolutely, that's a really good point. I didn't even I didn't even, um clock onto that. Good good point there. Really good point. So in the living room back at the flat, Bill that tells Rona that he has nothing to do with the horoscope. Remind and Bill Rona's like, you know, one careless move could result in a serious fall. You just think it, this is just the worst kind of situation to be in. <laughs> Bell asks what Bill's doing. Um, as she dials the phone, Bill says she's calling the fire brigade. However, we they find that the phone's cut off and we learn that Bell was the one who snipped it with scissors. Ronan and Bill say they'll use the phone box in the corridor, but Bell threatens to jump off the building. And this is just this is like a real guts and heart in your throat moment you just can't believe oh, yeah it is <laughs> it's happening um she asks them to go to the window where she can see them bell repeats she doesn't want to hear about the fire engine or she'll jump you know and then i love how at this moment they've not actually asked her why she's on the tower plot but they don't they're yeah. not even questioning they did the, the first thing that really they talk is is like greetings of bell saying oh you're robert aren't you and then bill's yeah. just like why won't you let me call the fire brigade like that's the first question you would ask I mean, if someone's on a window ledge, a window ledge, or in a, on a on the ledge, high ledge of a, of a small building, I would think someone wants to just kill themselves. That's the that's your immediate yeah. thought, isn't it? But then, I guess, yeah, <laughs> I guess, I guess, Bill knows her so well that this is an unhinged relative that she doesn't even question anything she does anymore. Does she? She just kind of thinks, oh, she's on the ledge or the roof, or it doesn't make any difference to her, does it? <laughs> no, it's just it's just what happens all the time. It's yeah. it's pretty. It's a standard Saturday. In the Bell's um, flat. Yeah. And then Bill Bell says in response to why to Bill asking why she can't call the big fire brigade. Bell says, if they come, they'll put me away. When the ambulance men took Auntie Joyce, she didn't come back no more. She was dead, Aunt Bell. <laughs> I love the way Bill just says that in such a dry, wry way. Just like, oh no, that's not today. Yeah. Bill repeats, not you know, I'm not, don't want to see the fire engine or I'll jump. Bill asks what she's doing out there. Finally asks what she's doing out there. And Bell says sarcastically, I'm nesting behind the drain pipe for the winter. What do you think? I went out to feed the pigeons. <laughs> she feeds them every day. And but it's forbidden to feed the pigeons. If they find out, they make you go away to a home. And I love how Rona's so in this moment being the kind of supportive one of like, oh, she's a sweet little old lady, but Bill knows her well. Rona says, oh, I'm sure they don't. And Bill goes, yes, they do. She just ha- you know, wants to <laughs> bring Rona around to her way of thinking of don't be feeling sorry for her. Don't be too sweet on her. Don't be too gentle. She, you know, this is what's going on. And then Bill asks why Bill Bell went all the way out there to feed them. And Bell, you know, full of sarcasm, everyone in this episode today says, well, you don't think they'd come inside and sit at the table? And I, I just had this amazing image in my mind. It's like, like Snow White. Yeah. It's like, it's nah. And these birds all fly in and, and just sit at the table ready for their food. It's really funny. It's a great, image. It's a great visual joke that I just yeah it's fantastic <laughs> and exactly and so Rona says she thought there were safety bars up against the wall but then Bell says that there were but she took them down because they were a death trap the yeah. most amazing kind of juxtaposition she thinks they're a death trap so she's got rid of them which made them even more of a yeah. death trap I just think it's so it's such a great episode this because like Andrew Marshall's thought of everything of all the kind of the angles of why there's no bars on there why why she's stuck on the ledge why they go onto the ledge everything is so well thought through and so well written that it doesn't leave any kind of plot holes or anything everything's just just like tight tight plotting it's just perfectly attention to detail is absolutely fantastic I think just really really great writing 100 percent. and I love what I love in comedy is when you try and find the humor in every kind of situation so like just now when the reason that she's out there she wants to feed the pigeons and Bill's like well why do you go out there and she goes well what did you expect them to fly in and sit at the table you know it's, it's those kind of jokes that work well in the context of the writing and the dialogue and it's just so yeah. beautifully um, put together um Bill frustratingly asks Bell to let her call the fire brigade Bell goes I'm jumping you know she, she just lets and she kind of slowly sticks her a leg out and you know you, you just think she's really playing them and and i actually feel like 
you know, in this moment, it's not a joke. You really don't know what's going to happen. And the way she um, she puts the fear of God into Bill and Rona. And uh, Bill tells her to stay still. Ben asks what she thought she would she do as Gene Kelly tap dance number, which is another visual. I could just, you know, trying to do a tap dance number on the kind of window ledge. You know, Fantastic. it just, I'd love to, I'd love to see that. Actually. I think that'd make a really funny little scene on a stage musical <laughs> bill tries something and she tells bell that rona was dying to go to the loo and i love rona's one of those who doesn't he's not very quick to to, to catch on to this situation and rose like what bill kicks her and she suddenly realizes um and as you say bell says she could please herself but it's a horrible sweet it's the color of baby sick yeah she kind of <laughs> says something really sort of quaint and nice using the referring to the bathroom as a sweet and then just goes it's the color of baby sick yeah. she's just so brilliant in this role of, of playing those different facades and elements of the character every joke of Bell's every line is just absolute gold I think in this episode she's just yeah. such a great character she really is she's and she's fantastic. more in this as you say than she is in Secret Diary but she really people know the character well yeah. because of this episode Bell says one more time if she sees the fire engine she'll jump so the next scene with um, Jenny and Ben is um, basically that Jenny's been offered a job or she thinks she's been offered a job and I love the interaction between Claire and Gary because it's not very often that we get time with Claire and Gary in the show yeah, yeah I, I was saying between Ben and Jenny it's good to see that kind of that dynamic and the way he kind of loves her and cares for her and stuff and it gives that kind of depth to the show because obviously we're so used to Ben obviously being quite silly but it just shows that he is quite you know he's got their best interests at heart for the kids and stuff and you get to see his really kind of caring side and that other side to Ben of him not just being a silly character but he's also kind of quite savvy in, in a few ways and obviously he's got the interests of Jenny and David at heart and it's it's good to see the interaction between them two and also it's quite it's quite a sad scene isn't it it's quite a melancholic scene compared to obviously the, the funny and the craziness with Bill around on the ledge you've got these two together it's quite a sad kind of part of life really I guess and you know with jobs and whatnot and represents obviously Jenny again growing up you know and that shift into adulthood absolutely and, and it's like it goes from the funny bits of when Jenny's are like, Dad, I've got a job. And he's just like, a job. He's just, he's just kind of bit, bit taken aback as to why it's happened, what's going on. And, you know, she's very excited because I think she's wanting to grow up because she's at that stage now where she is very much, you know, borderline adulthood. But clearly she's got, she's not read it fully. And, and you know from the letter that there's something in it that Ben doesn't like the sound, read, that doesn't like the sound of, yeah. or isn't, yeah. or is misleading. And, you know, um, they she calls back and he's and, and they're not there, so they obviously come back later. Um, and then the next scene, we might as well do these scenes all together because there's quite a lot of plotting to the to the bits on the the, the tower block ledge. She's kind of relieved that she didn't have to go back to school again, do her homework. And then when she does call back, he's unplugged the the wire, worrying that she'll make a terrible mistake, and learns that in the letter, what it's actually said was, you know, she thinks it's been offered a job, but it's actually a case of they will offer a position if one becomes available. Yeah. which is a polite way of saying she didn't get it. And now I personally think job inter- jobs like situations like that should just be you didn't get it or you did. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot that goes on in real life. And I think as well, those scenes between um, obviously Ben and Jenny are really, really great because what's so good about 2.4 children is it's never just jokes. You get these kind of these sad moments, these very real moments that are just very part of real life. Yeah. And I think it's great that you have those moments in 2.4 children because it makes it you know such a great sitcom as a result because it's got that dimension to it. You've got one, yeah, one side, you've got these characters on a window ledge. And then on the other side, you're having a really sort of, as you say, realistic moment between a father and daughter yeah. and, and him being uh, paternal towards her. Yeah. And I, I love the guesswork as well in this episode, because as the audience, you're constantly guessing what the fall is going to be. And at, at the start, you think it's going to be a literal fall. And then you, you see Jenny and Ben thinking, oh, actually, this could be the fall. And it's not quite as, you know, as literal as, as you might think. So that kind of the way Marshall gets you guessing what the, what the fall could be all the way through is quite a fun little game. Oh, it's, it's a series that never makes you kind of, you never feel you're comfortable or, or sure in what you're expecting. It's always playing playing guessing games, which is what good comedy should be. It shouldn't yeah. be predictable. It should be, you know, constantly sort of on, yeah. on the edge of your seat. That's why it that's should what, be entertaining. Yeah, that's what I love about 2.4 Children, because you've got this kind of, uh, on the surface, this family sitcom, but then you will get wrong-footed down a different path that you never expect to go down. And you end up in a place which you never imagined you'd go down in that, half an hour yeah and that's what's so good about it you, you start off it's a family sitcom and the next minute you could be on a window ledge you could be absolutely anywhere <laughs> in a room full of cobras yeah exactly it's that balance i admire the most so we go back to the flat 
and Rowan suggests dropping a note out the window asking someone to call 999. Or Bill reminds her, you know, she'd see the fire engine. That's quite good thinking of Rona, but then obviously she'd see the fire engine. And and suddenly, I, again, as you say, there's that moment where you think something's going to happen and then it's just something so un, um, innocuous. So Bill goes, oh my God, no. And Bell and Rona run to the window and you just think something really bad's happened. And Bell says, I can see into the flat opposite. They've got flock wallpaper. Like she's just so disgusted in that moment that she has to really say something so loud that you think she's probably fallen or something really bad's happened. And it's good about her character. So she's got quite um quite high standards, like you say, with, with Bet. So then Bill asks if Bet if she can reach her arm out towards Bill. And I like the visual of the distance of spaces. They're kind of keeping their arms going out and it's not working. So then um then Bill holds out a long brush for the gap between them is you know really huge and and i i have to say i love this little next bit you know bill bell starts crying and you really feel it's not like a, a comedy cry it's a genuine heartfelt breakdown almost when she goes i'm such a stupid old thing i'll never get off of here and if i do they'll only put me away i might as well jump now and i'm done with it i'd be better off dead let's face it and it's 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 a desperation moment for all of them yeah those moments i really love in the show as well that you just feel a real you don't get that in a lot of sitcoms everything's all jolly all the time it's really skillful writing as well the way andrew marsh can smoothly go from comedy to tragedy and then back to comedy again and it just feels so seamless you know the way he does it it just it doesn't feel clunky at all it just feels like it flows perfectly and the way you can go from one to the other so nicely is, is really good writing 100% and so we go into probably the most sort of iconic moment of the series now and Bill just goes I must be mad she zips up her jacket puts the hood over her head and then just gets onto the window ledge she just goes from the wind through the window onto the ledge Rona's horrified she's like Bill no and but Bill's got herself really composed and she's like just hold on to me I'll be fine and she steps sideways towards Bell and then and Rona's like holding on to Bill's arm for dear life and then says you know let go I'm, I'm used to it now Belinda Lang is brilliant in this moment. She's really, this is the first character you see going onto the actual ledge, really doing it in a way where you feel like she really is 14 floors above ground and just kind of slowing up looking, just moving very steadily and gets closer to Belle. And then eventually they grab hands. And, and you know, I love when she gets, you know, Belle says, I never thought I'd get off. I did something stupid. And then I love how Bill's like, did you? You know, just like really seeming encouraging. But when (laughs) Bell just explains, I glanced down. And if you glance down, you see everything and you're frozen and it falls miles away forever. And then you just see at that moment, by the way, at this point, the close-ups on the two of them right against the wall. And then Bill just sort of, her eyes go down and her head goes down. And then you see this overhead shot of the two of them on the window ledge and Rona's still in the window. And this huge drop to the ground. And you can hear the studio audience shriek and gasp. And it's a nervous laughter, but it shows how good the special effect was for it to be in the studio, but to make it look that realistic. So when they see it on the monitor, on the TV, I'm assuming if they had the TV on the on the on the ceiling, not on the ceiling, but you know overhead, it must have thought they must have thought even at, at, on studios, despite seeing it there and knowing it's not real, that it was yeah. so realistic. It's so brilliant done this episode. Like just you, you do get the sense watching it even now, you do get the sense those shots of the camera looking directly vertically down. Yeah. You just you, it makes you feel dizzy. It makes you feel a bit sick. It's great. It's just so well done, and it, and it kind of ramps up. It gives that kind of feeling of how high they actually are, and it ramps yeah. up that excitement and that kind of you're on the edge, you're you're on the edge of the sea as they're on the edge of the ledge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I've seen an episode of my family where they do something similar, not similar, but it's on a roof, and it's obviously a studio, and it looks really nice. You know, the, 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 yeah. but even down in this episode to the to the design of the wall and the window yeah. looks so realistic. It doesn't look like a studio set. Yeah. It looks like a genuine tower block. Yeah, it does. It's and it's wonderful, wonderfully um, designed. So Bill looks down, and you know, Bell then says, "When you've seen everything, you can't move." I think you have to pause it or just really look closely at, at Bill's face, and her eyes just kind of don't go. She doesn't really go express, doesn't give a lot of expression, but you can just see her whole body freeze, and she's just like, "Rona, I can't move." You know, she's just realised now that what she's done is as stupid as as Bell looking down. Yeah. Bill asks Rona if she can reach her. She can't. Bill says to call the fire brigade. Ben then threatens to jump, and Rona's like, "Ah!" But it's a great bit of like you see the the, the whole shot of the um, the wall and the window. Bill just turns to the window, and says, 
going to call the fire brigade. Rona's about to turn her back and then Belle on the far right just goes, I'm going to jump. And then in the window, Julia is going, ah, no, she's just, it, it's so brilliantly performed and it's so well rehearsed. They're obviously yeah. good chemistry between them, but you really believe in this moment. It's, 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 and there's, there's danger. That's the thing about it. There's, there's a real risk in this whole situation. And it's an anxious watch. So Rona asking, you know, what am I supposed to do? And again, another bit of understated acting here by Belinda, when she just turns her eyes and slowly tilts her head towards the window and glares at her and, and Rona's not having any of it. But Bill says, we need you to do this. And so Rona begrudgingly gets onto the window ledge and says, you know, never mind, we plummet to our death. Bell says, don't take too long. I love that way. It's like, don't take too long. She says, oh, I won't be on here any longer than I have to be. So Rona then grabs Bill's hand and, and fingers. And again, it's so so well sort of paced you know she just gets the fingers and the hand and it's all it's not rushed it's it's really genuine but it never yeah, drags definitely. rona slightly moves closer to bill and says now when i say i want us to all to take one step towards the window right now and as they each take a step to the window rona steps step causes that part of the ledge to break down and her feet literally oh, does nearly fall and I know, that scene <laughs> you, you see a close-up shot of her, of yeah. her foot going down and then the overhead shot and you see them like the, there's the overhead shot of the the crumbly bits like fall into the ground i'll admit that's probably the only effect that looks a bit naff because it doesn't it looks like it's kind of like paper running round down rather than like crackle bits of rubble from the window ledge but overall it's pretty decent and yeah, and the way so that, well done the way they're all lined up in a row and i love how rona's just kind of her legs are kind of almost like that michael jackson move in smooth criminal the dance she's just kind of tilting like leaning against and bill's kind of wide open and then there's the bet the bell at the end and bill states what they all look like but it's so funny because the visuals are so beautiful like oh god we look like a set of paper dollies and they really do. It's amazing. It's, perf- it's perfectly shot that that scene, and that, that the kind of as as the camera is is just far enough away from them as well. You, you see them all linked together like paper dollies as she says it, and it's just a perfect, perfectly done, perfectly shot, perfectly said. <laughs> I think it's the most perfect iconic moment from that episode that they're just all together on the window ledge. Just you know, yeah. you don't think you know, you think of plots for sitcoms. They say there's only like what seven plots in, in, in overall, and then for sitcoms, there's not that many you can really do. But this show just takes the most original ideas and just runs with it and and works so well so i love and i like this these exchanges between rona and bill bear in mind they can't do they can't move and they can't really move their heads or really but just when they're still you can feel exactly how they are feeling in that moment as characters it's it's a testament to belinda and, and and julia and obviously liz was great in this but because of the fact that the two of them are the most sane ones there yeah. it's just wonderful when rona asks so how do you get back to the window miss doesn't believe her horoscope and so bill's in the middle of this when she's just like for the last time this has got nothing to do with anything it has said in my horoscope you know she's gonna explode but she knows that she's got to stay very calm and it's just so wonderful so we go to the bit with um, next scene with um, Ben and Jenny which we've already talked about and they kind of end it with a typical thing of I wonder what they're they're doing now Ben Bell and they they said they won't be long you know there's all this hint of everything and then we go back to them on the window ledge all together just going shouting help and it's just the funniest (laughs) visual that they're just on this window ledge the three of them linked together shouting for help and and it's the the timing of everything as well when they go she goes wait I think I can see a man down there and then they just go help (laughs) yeah wonderful absolutely wonderful this whole scene from start to finish on the window ledge is like the it's just one of the favorite parts of the whole 2.4 children series it's just it's so well done and yeah the shots and everything are just perfectly done yeah the kind of the the way it looks down vertically and you keep getting a reminder of how how much in peril they actually are and stuff and it's just it's just perfect isn't it it's just and having Les, les smith there who is like proper comedy pet pedigree and it's just it's just a match made in heaven with these three. Oh my god it really is but it's also really good moments of like the kind of the the, the, the the loud moments of the screaming and the shouting and the quieter moments and it really is I think it's so brilliantly sort of constructed how 
the characters all try and figure ways around the situation in safe and methodical ways, but it's still entertaining and it can and it's still funny. So like Bill says, right, we need to walk closer to the edge and see if we can see him. And he's gone. And then they continue shouting help. Rona asks why nobody can hear them. And I love this little bit that the bell says. You think, why can no one hear them? They're all, the 14 floors high. It's it, there's so many reasons. But then Bell just goes, because they've all got satellite television now. And nobody leaves the living room sofa unless they run out of pizza or there's an earthquake. It's a sad comment on our times. I, th- I love that line. I think it's such a good social commentary then as it is now, because I think it's even more true now. Obviously, it's Netflix and pizza now. But um, yeah, I think it's just so good, that kind of that depth and that kind of it's quite a sad comment, really, on kind of modern life. But I think it's still true and even more relevant so today than it was was then. Exactly. And the other thing as well is, we've talked about this before on the show, there have been other moments in the series where characters have said something that Marshall's kind of predict, not yeah, sort of predicted things that are going to happen. So like in the one we did first time, the second episode you did, When the Children Sleep, and Ben says, oh, like you said earlier, you know, one day there'll be only channels that will show everything we've never wanted to watch. And that's like Netflix or Britbox now showing 2.4 children from December. Oh, by the yes. way, yes, that's only next week. And this now next week, people, you'll be able to watch 2.4 children on Britbox. Very exciting. But that's obviously something we all want to watch. But you know, it's, finally. Exactly. But also, like, another thing I think I'd have added to Bet's, to Bell's comment about the modern world is today is, is phones. But it's interesting how in each generation, the development of certain technology and certain cultural things like eating pizza, like obviously takeaway, is kind of, it's always this hint that every new kind of next level of technology does bring about a, a kind of divide and a, and a breakdown of social interaction, which was being talked about 25 years ago, and we're still talking about it now. And so if this is you know, think about where we were in 96, where we are now. It's crazy where we'll be in another five, 10 years, let alone 25. But it's beautifully written. And I think it captures yeah. the 90s essence really well. Yeah, it's so scary, but at the same time, so true. And I think it's a comment that everyone can relate to. Because you think, oh, gosh, you know, we are all on our phones. We all are eating pizza and just lounging about watching Netflix and stuff. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's quite sad, really, when you think about it. When you stop and think, it's, there's a lot of truth in that comment. There is. And then there's some nights where that is the only thing that you need to do just to make yourself sane. A Netflix night with pizza or even on your phone. It's just, it's some nights you need it. There's not always, there's yeah, good definitely. and bad traits of everything, I always say. It is, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Rona then says, you know, I really need to go to the toilet now. And again, another bit of sitcom writing I like that 2.4 John does particularly well is sort of planting a seed and then it comes back around later on. And it does that loads of times in episodes. And there's another one later on with um, what Belle thought Rona was called. Yeah, there's some really good attention to detail. It's like at the very end of this episode, jumping out here, but um, it's, it's with obviously the mentioning of very early on in this episode, you've got Bill mentioning the, the library book that, that, that Belle needs to return. Yeah. And that happens to be the very book that she's pretending is a Bible on the very last scene. And I'm thinking, yeah, the, the attention to detail is just so good. It's just so well written. Yeah, really that's is. the attention to detail that's missing today. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love the way that when after Bill, Rona says, you know, I need to go through an hour, Bill's just like, well, you'll just have to wait, won't you? Bell says, and then, and then again, it's this, this feeling of, of high emotion, but very kind of restrained based upon the, the setting. Bell says, well, cheer up, girls. It could be worse. And Bill, with her arms lighted, goes, how could it be worse? And then this is a wonderful bit of, of spuel from Bell as well. Yeah. The rest of the ledge could crumble away bit by bit or a flock of parrots circling for a place to sleep for the night could perch on our bodies and start pecking at us. Or a jumbo jet could go out of control when the pilot has a pizza attack, veer down to earth and crash into this wall where we are. And then there's this like real pause while the audience sort of chuckle, wondering what she'll say. And then she goes, or it could rain just (laughs) as that moment it begins to rain. And it's really convincing um, effect of rain in this moment you really oh, I mean yeah. and I like you know when um, Bell says oh my legs have gone completely dead I can't stand here much longer you when you look at that she is soaked like there's the, you know her hair goes wet and 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 she you know it's really real and and same with um Belinda's black jacket you know she it's really it's shaking yeah. it to the skin and it is re- it, was- it looks real it must have been really grueling to shoot that for them. <laughs> You're just getting yeah. so wet. I mean, I hope it's warm water. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, well, with Lady Vanishes, I know that the rain outside was was quite grim, especially in the weather. So at least they're inside. So as you say, hopefully the, the heat from the lights will have made it a bit easier, yeah. more bearable. 
And then um, when, after she says, I can't stand here much longer, Rona's like, well, you should try in high heels. But then Belle says at one point, oh, do you think that might help? She's just in such a kind of eccentric response, not caring oh, that Rona's so being good. sarcastic. She's absolutely fantastic. I love this character of Belle. She's just so funny. Just yeah, a star in this episode. She really was that she's the, the eccentric auntie that you that everyone has. Bill is very much the leader of the pack continuing. And she goes, Let's converse our energy, shall we? We might be here for some time. And then Bell says, you know, it's all my fault. But it's like, no, it's not. It's all my fault. I should have phoned the fire brigade as soon as I got here. You wouldn't have jumped, would you? And Bell says, of course I wouldn't have jumped. What do you think I am? Mad? I would kill her. At that point, if I was Bill, I'd be like, right, you can go to the ground yeah. they've they've she's the reason that they're on there is because she's threatened to jump and she would never have done it yeah that was just a great line and the way she says it as well is just perfect just like where's the guy matt yes definitely bell bill goes on to say she didn't want to risk it because of what rona says you know bill says she was adamant that it would come true and it has come true rona says it has and one of them could slip off the edge bill instructs then the when they she counts to three they all take a step back and lean against the wall oh i forgot to say before when when bill basically blames rona rona does that wonderful like um laugh she's She's just like completely livid at that moment (laughs) of what bill's saying yeah yeah and then bill's like nobody's going to fall okay one two three they take a step back and then Bill falls into the wall and it is like, like, you know, just like goes in and, uh, you know, there's a gap that appears and then she's in the, is it the lift shaft? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. the so lift it's, like, it's like the ropes, like above a lift, isn't it? That she yeah. falls into like, through the wall and she grabs onto the rope. Yeah. And she's sort of hanging onto it. And then a man appears in like, um, is it like a plumber? Uh, some kind of electrician or, yeah, tools like, or yeah. some kind of work guy. And he's in this like a work outfit. And then he grabs her and says, you know, I slipped through a hole in the wall. You know, it's just kind of a re-refrigerating, slipping, falling and and that. So later on in the corridor, Rona is the last one to walk down um, a ladder from the lift. And the man just says, you know, going down. Bill says, Rona. Again. Typical Rona, isn't it? Typical adult, Rona. adult jokes. The old ones are the best, as they say. Um, <laughs> he tells them to be more careful next time. Now, if if you were an electrician and you knew that three people were hang- standing on a window ledge, you probably would you know call someone or maybe that's kind of normal well he's probably used to seeing things like that all the time maybe just goes to show yeah maybe they put all the bonkers people in that tower block and he's just used to seeing all the eccentrics doing eccentric things <laughs> oh they'll be fine they'll be fine they'll, they'll, they'll be fine with it that's probably what he thinks and i love that rona has a look at him and then bill drags her away so then back in bell's flat bill and rona dry off bell says you know she, she's used to being on her own and tells her to go back to the others before they start worrying rona then says bye to bell who says bye-bye robert and she's just the way she, she she holds her hand and she goes bye-bye robert she just hasn't got it has she it's just fantastic that she gets both the name and gender wrong it's just brilliant yeah, it really is and so um bill makes her promise that she will never go out on the ledge again to feed the pigeons Bill's very calm. I think if you've been on a window ledge, I mean, most people would have some form of PTSD probably of having been on such a high floor, nearly potentially falling to your horrible death. And she's just probably used to it. She's, but she's with the family, so she's used to bonkers stuff happening. Well, that's it. She's used to cobras, getting trapped by cobras, fires. You know, she's, she's seen it all, hasn't she? So, uh... And then as you say, like, with the, whole, with the Bible, and Bell just goes, I swear on the holy Bible. And, she's, and then they leave. And Belle settles back to read Heartbeat by Danielle Steele. Nice little return to the first being. And then Robert was a good like little throwback to the um, to comments made to Rona earlier. Outside the tower block, um, Bill still can't, you know, still doesn't think that psychic Sadie can see the future. They turn a corner and there's an ambulance. Some guy explains that some stupid Wally chucked some concrete. A woman tripped over when visiting her grandma. And then <laughs> we see... So, well, obviously a woman in the stretcher and there's two men sort of hidden away hiding her face so we can't see anything and rona just turns to bill and asks you know do you believe me now and i love the way bill just looks so smug at this next bit she goes no why not asks rona and then we just see this mystic meg look-alike in a stretcher being carried off and bill just goes it's psychic sadie and he just suddenly thought ah that all makes sense even psychic sadie couldn't have seen that one coming 
It's perfect. A lovely little bit of irony at the end there. <laughs> it really is. And, it, and I can definitely see the Mystic Meg kind of spoof there because she does the look like her. Yeah. yeah. I just love the fact that they said, oh, she went to visit her grandmother and then just went yeah. to like go to that, go in her normal. I wonder what Mystic Meg's normal clothes would have been like. She's probably dressed like that all the time. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea that she just walks around in this mysterious outfit. <laughs> I mean, it's like, and it sounds really um, very crude to say, but you know when Derek Okora died the other year? I didn't realize he died actually yeah he did he died oh wow just before covid maybe um it was wow. a while ago now and there was people on twitter saying they didn't see that coming so like, i just think oh god that's so Too dark soon. but you can kind yeah. of you know it's, it's those kind of things with psychics when people will say oh even mystic meg could have predicted that or even she wouldn't have seen that coming you know it's that kind of yeah. idea so that concludes vertigo and there were some episodes of this show where obviously you know people love every episode and some people have certain favorites more than others but there's some real classics and i think this is definitely one of them and i hope yeah. for everyone listening you'll feel that we did it justice yeah it's an absolutely fantastic episode it's probably one of my favorites it's just it's got everything in there you want it. it's just so funny uh getting bell back as a character is is fantastic and making that the main character in this and it's just so tense as well it's like this is a comedy which you find yourself laughing at but at the same time you feel like you're on the edge of your seat. I mean, the suspense and stuff is ramped up to like fever pitch. And it is, it's just, it keeps you on the edge of your toes, edge of your seat. And you just think, oh God, I'm not on that, on that ledge. Yeah. And, and as it crumbles away and then it rains, you just think, how can it get any worse? And the next minute it crumbles and then it rains. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. You're thinking, oh my God, how the hell are they going to get out of this? This was great. Yeah. And I think as well, this is the third episode of Nick Wood. And you can definitely tell that he's really taking on some quite ambitious scripts with the show. So with Dog Day Afternoon, Definitely. obviously they had the kind of most heist-like elements um, when they go to the super, uh, the uh, shopping centre. The the lady vanishes when they do the kind of horror element. And then this is like almost like a social commentary, almost kitchen sinkish drama sort of, but it's not really. But it still feels like yeah. it's a genre of like that. And it's quite ambitious, the pop production values. Yeah, I think you can also tell like, the change of director as well. Uh, at least I can when I'm watching it from season six compared to how seasons three, four and five felt. I mean, like, both directors are fantastic, but you just tell a slightly different style in season six. It's much more, I'd say, kind of bubbly in a way, like like not kind of, I think with Richard Bowden, it's quite more obscure. It's got that weird kind of flavour to it, whereas this is kind of more, still surreal, but a bit more, I'd say, bubbly in yeah. a way. But both directors, they bring different elements to the table and they're both fantastic obviously yeah, and i think with 2.4 children one thing i've noticed more recently with the whole thing is obviously i've, I've been sort of more in with the fandom of it and talking to people and, and and people's memories of it people who've sort of rediscovering it after so many years and the one thing about the show is it's one of those sitcoms where it has memorable episodes for people you know like there's a lot of sitcoms that people remember episodes of like faulty towers is probably a good example of like there's the don't mention the Germans, don't mention the war, Basil the Rat and all that. But and I think Two Point for Children is very much one of those shows. I mean, no one remembers an episode of my family. Let's be really honest. People might remember moments or even Mrs. Brown's Boys. I don't think if you ask anyone who's a fan of that show, what's your favourite episode? I don't think anyone could really pinpoint episodes. There's nothing that distinctive about the episodes of those two shows. Whereas this show has no. the lottery episode the one on the window ledge, you know. And I think this episode yeah. very much is one that, for people, it really imp left an impression yeah. because people it, will it, know watched it for years and remember it. Yeah, I think these really iconic big plots with 2.4 children. I mean, you don't really get that um, these days. I think there's a kind of, there's a drought, there's a lacking of a good studio-based sitcom. I think there's kind of a misconception that a laughter track is old-fashioned, where I don't think it is. I think sometimes a laughter track can be modern and can be relevant, and not everything has to be kind of offensive or you know in a, in a doc, doc, filmed in a documentary kind of style. You can have both. You can have fantastic documentary comedies like The Office. And you can have fant fantastic kind of studio-based sitcoms like Two Point Four Children. And I think you kind of you live in a kind of mis there's a misconception where you have to you think oh that's a thing of the past with with you know laughter tracks. We can't have that anymore. But you can have them both. You can have like a documentary kind of sharp sitcom that's really really great like The Office. And you can also have a sitcom like Two Point Four Children, which has still got the depth and everything. And the studio, the live filming as well. You, you cannot, you can have both. I don't think we should have to be made to choose between the two. Yeah, this is probably for me one of the probably the, one of the last great of those sitcoms because I feel like from the two thousand onwards, it kind of got much more. I think that the I think everything came very safe. I don't think you can again have a plot like this now. 
or and also quite the humor's all very snappy and 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 you've got to be having these constant gags every second and 2.4 is very sharp there's always a joke around the corner but it's always kind of a bit more character based and like we said in this episode that it's within the situation yeah i think i think with 2.4 children you've just got and, and sitcoms um, of the 90s, they, they give them more time to breathe. Right? Definitely. Now it has to be kind of, you have to have jokes, loads and loads of jokes and everything. You know, you've got thousands of satellite channels and they think, right, we've got to get the jokes and got to get jokes and got to keep people interested. But really, it's nice just to let the characters breathe and have a few kind of, a couple of jokes and then maybe a whole scene without any jokes. You know what I mean? You don't have to, you don't have to be kind of joke, joke, joke. And I think what makes 2.4 children so great is the fact that you can have scenes that are played completely straight. Definitely. It, today's comedy is very smug. That's how I'd best describe yeah. today's comedy. And I think 2.4 is, is a good example of a mainstream comedy that aimed high and met yeah. those high standards. So I think I know the answer to this question, but five, oh, five stars, Chris. 22. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> no, five, no, five. I mean, this is just a fantastic episode, isn't it? It's just it really great is. from start to finish. It's funny. It's melancholic. It's got everything in there. There's, there's some nice bit of social commentary in, in there as well. You've got everything in it, and it's incredibly tense and exciting. And obviously, you've got those the scenes with Jenny and Ben that kind of help give you a bit of you know, a bit of relaxation from all the tenseness on the, it gives you a bit of a break, doesn't it, as well? It's got that kind of nice balance. So, yeah, five stars. It's a, it's a great, funny, and also suspenseful episode. Definitely. I'm, I'm the same. Couldn't have put it by myself. Five stars for me and what you said. <laughs> so thank yeah. you very much for coming back on. And where can people find you. you? You can find me everywhere. I'm on Chris, Chris C. Nichols on Instagram, and mainly food pictures. <laughs> uh, and I'm also Chris Nichols on Facebook. So yeah, just uh, yeah, add me and me. I'm always sharing stuff about sitcoms and whatnot. So yeah. I'll say it. Well, thank you again for coming on. As ever, you can find us on the 2.4 Children DVD and streaming campaign, which... Might have to change its name very soon because of the recent events. And then you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under the at 2.4 podcast. Next week, we go from window ledge to an imaginary dog, like literally an imaginary dog. And joining me to discuss the trouble with Harry is the return of Matthew, who we first met in the episode of Badger's Bend. Until next week, thank you very much for joining us. (laughs) 